Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. This is Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Linda L. Richards to the podcast today. Linda is the award-winning author of 16 books, the founder and publisher of January Magazine, and a contributing editor to the crime fiction blog, The Rap Sheet. She is best known for her strong female protagonists in the thriller genre. Richards is from Vancouver, Canada, and currently makes her home in Phoenix, Arizona. Linda will have two books published in 2023. The noir thriller Dead West from Ocean View Publishing, third in the ending series, comes out in September. A work on nonfiction for 9 to 13-year-olds, Wild Horses Running Free from Orca Publishing, is out in October. Linda's 2021 novel, Endings, was recently optioned by a major studio for series production. How exciting. Richards is an accomplished horsewoman and an avid tennis player. She enjoys yoga, hiking, cooking, and playing guitar, though not at the same time. Linda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Although I got to try doing that all at the same time. That would be a fun visual. <laughs> well, it could be another career. I mean, right? You could work for Cirque du Soleil if you could pull that off. Um, I should also say that Linda is the grants liaison um, for Sisters in Crime and is on the national board. So thank you so much for your service to the organization. Thank um, you. It's been a thus far. Linda, I want to start where I always start on this podcast. When did you say to yourself, I want to write a book? <laughs> so amazingly early, like five, I wrote my first novel when I was 12 and uh, it it sucked very badly and uh, no one has ever seen it except for on the school bus. I would read chapters on my way to school to my fellow school bus riders. Yes. And it was actually when I think about it. And I do have that manuscript in a box somewhere. It was a children's horse story. Wow. So, so you're going full circle there. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously writing, then I I um I took an undergrad in, I mean, uh, an AA degree in journalism. And I was a single mom, and journalism was not gonna put a lot of cabbage on the table, I noticed fast. So I so <laughs> I switched my major to graphic design, and which sounds like crazy, right? Like, oh, you want to make a living, so be a graphic designer. But uh, it it allowed me to tie all the things that I did together mm -hmm. and make uh, a, put food on the table for a long time. Yeah. And then that got frustrating. I was a magazine art director and uh, editing, like uh, type back in the days of typography, and. Um, frustrated at the some of the pros and thinking I could do this I'm trained to do this and some nice editors gave me opportunities and the transition began that was a long time ago so when you decided after uh you know this really interesting career that we should talk some more about but to write novels was it always going to be crime fiction oh no it was not at all going to be crime fiction 
it was, um, they're just dead people kept cropping up in my work. I did not intend to write crime fiction at all. <laughs> and, and in fact, my first published books were uh, computer books. I wrote um, the Canadian Business Guide to Using the Internet and Teach Yourself Photoshop and a Dummies book and some other stuff. And I was really um, getting my courage together to write a novel, like other than the one that I wrote when I was a kid. I, it took a lot of courage for me to write a novel because, you know, you can spend a year alone in your room and then come out with a book and what if nobody cares? That's a scary possibility. Yeah, it is. So how did you build the craft for writing a novel? Because it is a it's a different skill set. And many journalists um, who I've talked to on this podcast or who I've met had to unlearn some things about their journalism um, background. So how did you build your craft? Well, first, one thing journalism does is it teaches you how to write. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, in terms of just getting it done. Like writer's block can't really exist because you've got to do three takes before the end of the day and you're on deadline. So you learn how to just sit down and produce. Mm -hmm. um, so that stands you in good stead, I think. And you probably have heard that from other journalists Absolutely. as well. Yeah. You know how to just get all, put all the other stuff aside. Then really one of the things that I did was... I started January Magazine, um, and that came about because I had all I was doing all these author interviews for newspapers, and too many were getting cut because some rock star had come to town or you know, call them inches. And I'd written all these computer books, and I wanted to test my the theories I had about success on the, on the internet. And so I started this project, January Magazine. And I started interviewing authors and I interviewed uh, in a fairly, in a few short years, the most of those, because I don't really do these anymore, but I did about two, interviewed about 200 authors in a period of about four years. And it's like Salman Rushdie, Margaret Atwood. I mean, it's just a whole wonderful bouquet of author interviews. And what I didn't realize was I was talking to them about craft. I was like looking for the secret of what would it take to become a novelist, a successful novelist. And in the course of all of those interviews, I discovered that there actually was a secret. There was one thing they all had in common, whether they worked with number 10 pencils or a computer or recorded it, did it with audio, they all did. There was one thing that they had all done. And Linda, you need to share that secret with our listeners. <laughs> I'm a dispense writer, right? <laughs> like, so the secret was, and this was a revelation, and it should be fairly obvious, but for me, it was a revelation. At one point, each of these people, all so different in the work that they produced, had sat alone in a room and written a book. I yeah. mean, like, so that was a secret, and that was the thing that, I had until that point been unable to do. And I had written like a lot of, or worked on really a lot of starter novels, hadn't really finished anything, kind of noodled with this and noodled with that. And kind of, I think thought magically at some point it was going <laughs> to you know, somehow gel and come together. But really what had to happen was I had to sit down and do that. So I did that in 2001. I sat down. Is that right? 2001? Because the years go skipping back. Yeah. 2000. <laughs> 2001, I started um, 
on the book, I had been playing with the stock market and kind of been peer pressured into playing the stock market because all my friends were doing it. And um, so I finished that novel in 2002. That was Mad Money. Um, that was my first book. So that was the first novel I ever really actually finished. Um, and I was lucky. I had writer friends. Somebody introduced me to her agent. Um, the second agent that looked at the book took it on. Mm -hmm. And um, within a couple of months, I had a six-figure deal. It was crazy. Like, I was Cinderella. I, I, nothing happens this way. I mean, then you think, oh, it's all going to be like this. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, it was not. But um, but it was uh, auspicious after finally, you know, locking myself in a room for a year. Yeah. Not really. You know, I was doing other stuff. But, yeah, after finally doing it it was very gratifying to have it actually gel and to, to think that, you know, it could be, and it was, and it was, you know, critically acclaimed. Uh, that series uh, was very well reviewed. They didn't sell particularly well and they didn't ask me back, but it was a start. And yeah. so that book came out, the first book in that series came out in 2004. And what's the name of the series? Um, I guess the Madeline Carter series. Yeah. Because yeah, the Madeline Carter series. And she's a, a a recovering day trader who moves from New York to um LA. Actually lives in the house I used to live in in Malibu. And um the the house, spoiler alert, that house blows up in book two. Um <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually it was it was fun. it was a lot of fun. I kind of saw myself potentially writing that series for a long time, but there was the uh three book the three book deal and yeah oh I had I had a few more yeah it's funny I wonder if this is true for you Julie because I I know that you're a writer and you write uh some series and so those the books that I have envisioned and that I have plotted out and I'm I'm a pantser I'm a total pantser but I, I you know you you've got book deals and you people want to see something so I had some some plotting done on the next like three books and those books kind of live in my heart in a certain place. Yeah. I have a whole bunch of books like that. If a book isn't finished, like it has some little hole in there that it continues to. Well, have you ever seen the play Six Characters in Search of an Author about these characters who um, the the playwright never finished the, the play? So they haunt a rehearsal room. And I, I often it's very dark. And there's a reason the author didn't finish the play. But um, but. I often think about that, you know, once you, once the characters start coming to life or you start building the world, it does exist in your imagination and doesn't go away. I mean, it's like they're waiting to show up somewhere. <laughs> Not funny. It's funny. I have a couple books that I have a lot of work into. And now, you know, I have the series that people are expecting books. So I keep working on that. But these other books with a lot of work into them, those people are calling me. It's yeah, yeah. it's a very strange feeling. Very strange. So I, I I think that the advice that you just shared, actually, we should pause and talk about this because it's it's critical. Starting is hard, but finishing 97 percent of people who start a book don't finish it. And it's going to be terrible. It, it's when you've had success in another career, especially that's a very hard thing to live with is the fact that your book is not going to be great. 
um, right away. You're going to need to work on it, but you you can't work on it till you finish it. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was awesome too. Like some of the authors that I interviewed, there was a there's a, a Canadian author called Timothy fin- Finley who has passed on now, but he's like a big deal in, in my country. He's like a big deal in Canada. He was, and um, I interviewed him three times. Every time he was promoting a book, I would interview him, and he would ask me about my writing. And he would give me advice and he would say, and some of that advice actually would, some of the advice that I got from these wonderful people would make a fabulous book. But he would say, he said, when he first got a computer and this, cause this is like maybe the late nineties that he said this to me, when he first got a computer, he was like, he spent all this time changing fonts and colors and, you know, and then he went, he just did start doing everything in longhand. And his partner would type out the manuscripts and send it in. But he did all his work in longhand because he kept him focused. Yeah. So um, I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah. Well, don't let the let, don't let the the tools get in the way. The get thing in that the way. me about going back to that memory that I completely had forgotten is that I now work entirely in longhand my first draft. And so that's why that was when I hit a hiccup there, because I was like, Oh, wow. Tiff told me that, (laughs) but I didn't get right there. So, so you're a pantser, which means that you write by the seat of your pants, but tell me about how you come up with the idea you're writing a series. And so series building is its own conversation and we can have that, but you know, do you have a theme for a book or how do you start a new book? It's the best example that I have is actually from my second book because it's pretty typical. My second book, it was called The Next X. And I was reading the New York Times, sitting at Starbucks, actually, reading the New York Times. And I read that, uh, oh, no, this is my third book. Yeah, third book, my, um, which is called Calculated Loss. And I read that a chef had killed himself because he lost a Michelin star. And I was like, he didn't kill himself. Because obviously somebody killed him. And so somehow I was, I guess, I guess at some level I was noodling on the third Madeline Carter book. And suddenly her ex-husband was a chef. And I think I was actually in edits on the second book. So I was able to make him a chef in the second book so that he was conveniently a chef for the third book. And sort of, I don't know, then I just sit down and it comes out. It's magic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm fascinated that you write longhand. Has that always been your process? No, it, no. it was not at all. Um, about eight years ago, I started dating someone who was at that time in Florida. I'm now married to him and we live in Phoenix, but he was living in Florida. He's from New York. but And I was, um, I'm involved with a nonprofit on the West Coast. I was doing some work out there in operations. I was based in Vancouver. And so I was always on a plane. And the planes had a lot of stops. Like, because you can't go from Vancouver directly to most places in Florida. At that point, you couldn't. And going to San Luis Obispo, you can't go straight from there. Well, you can now from Seattle. Anyway, I was going up and down on short flights. And I discovered that they don't make you turn off your notebook and pen. (laughs) They make you turn off all the other stuff. Because I was spending a lot of time going up and down. And in that period, too, I discovered I could write in airports. 
and liked it and noisy places like that. So the most convenient way to do that rather than bringing out a laptop and sometimes too, like, cause you have no room. You're yeah. There's too bad. There's no visual component on this cause I'm squishing myself up, but there's no room on planes for yeah. laptop half the time anyway. And now I have a teeny little iPad and a cute little keyboard, but I still write longhand. And I, uh, I just started doing that. And what I discovered was that I had a different connection with the words then. And mm-hmm. even like, I'll, so my process got to be, especially when I was living in Vancouver, where I could walk everywhere, I would get up in the morning and transcribe yesterday. And then I would go out into the world and I would go, I'd sit in a coffee shop for a while and I'd write there and I'd walk like, so I'd be walking in between and maybe eventually got to be happy hour. So I'd sit myself down and, you know, have a glass of wine and then I'd walk somewhere. And then the next day it would all start again. And I would start with transcribing. This is before Tony and I got married. So I would just grab my computer and be, I'd be in bed. I wouldn't even have coffee. I would just transcribe yesterday. And then sometimes transcribing yesterday, keep writing. It's just kind of a nice flow, but it gets me into this headspace where I'm just away. I don't know how to say it, but it's just such a direct connection. There's no interference of anything. And I don't even know what's going to be next. And sometimes I'll want to write on the computer because I'm left-handed. I'm extremely synastral, like I write upside down and it's not, it's, I can type much more quickly than I can write, but, um, and I'll want to keep going and I just don't know what happens next now. And so I'll just pick up my notebook and there it'll be magic. Well, and I'm I transcribing the next day. So smart um, because it's sort of still fresh enough that if you can't read your writing, you can, <laughs> sort of think about it do you mm-hmm. edit as you then transcribe I think so <laughs> yeah I think so because it's just yeah so by the time I have a first draft it's kind of a little more polished than it would be because I am transcribing or even sometimes by the time I'm transcribing because sometimes I don't get a chance the next day like if I'm traveling and then I'll have a whole whack of pages and then maybe I'll have thought of a plot twist that I need to go back and insert or something. But mostly I'm not going back at all. Yeah. And do you um, do you have a specific notebook or a specific pen that you you write with? I have a really beautiful Mont Blanc Meisterstück um, ink pen. Sounds like I'm Southern ink pen, but it's as opposed to being um, I, again I'm left-handed, so I can't really use a fountain pen because I drag my hand through the ink yeah. but, uh, so a really nice uh my sister joke that I I use quite often except for if I'm, a, I'm scared someone's going to take it <laughs> or it's going <laughs> to lose it or something but uh it doesn't have to be that though it'll be whatever it is I sit at my gym I, I belong to a nice club here and I'll sit there and I've sometimes used whatever you sign your you know checks with just grabbed a pen from someone but the notebook's um, I just like them to be skinny. And now I've been going to, yeah, I have just thin notebooks that fit easily into my, into my bag. Yeah. It's not That's, special. Like they're not special. They're just yeah. light. Because yeah. I'm carrying them on my back usually. Yeah. And you just, I, 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 I love this process. Um, 
and I also love that you've talked to so many writers and I do think, you know, you've now put it out into the universe, but it does sound like it would be a fascinating book to write. Um, when you're, when you were writing that first book, you, you obviously an avid reader, you're a journalist and journalists also know how to tell a story beginning, middle end, um, um, very succinctly, but, um, did you, were you surprised at some of the craft that you were dealing with? I think also because before I wrote that first book, I was a critic. I I was a book reviewer. Um, one could say at a professional level. So I had I had picked and I'd read a lot. I mean, that's of course the most important thing, right? Is the reading. And so then you read, sometimes even reading a book and loving it so much that you couldn't pay attention so much to style and then going back and starting it yes. over again, kind of picking it apart. So that becomes a master's course in 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 creative writing. And then sometimes writing just moves me. Like Stephen King is an author that, and he and he and it's not because it's horror, it's because he's a beautiful writer. And I will stop sometimes in the middle of a paragraph and go, like, oh man, those are beautiful words. Like it just moves me like that kind of writing and then and, and analyzing that. So what made me feel that, you know, what stopped me there listening to yeah. it? Yeah. And thrillers, uh, was that always a subgenre that you, you know, <laughs> look at she's shaking her head. No, <laughs> oh, not at all. And in the reading, right. I had read some, I just really love good books. I love good books. Yeah. Period. And that, of course that's subjective. Like, my good books are different than your good books, but I really love a well-made, a well-written book. And it doesn't really matter what it's about. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. I'm like that with food when I think about it too. Like I love good food. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good books. Yeah. <laughs> so they're well-made, well-crafted. And I, I do think that the um, thought of going back to your, to a book that you enjoyed. Um, there's nothing like being caught up in a book that you just are enjoying reading. So you don't even notice the craft. You just, uh, you know, and that's, um, as a writer, that's rare. I worked in theater for many years. It's very rare that I go to a play and I completely lose myself and I don't notice elements. Um, and I love when I do because it's so special. But going back and rereading or rereading some of the masters and saying, how did they do that? How do I, how, how did they use point of view? How did they tell me the story? How do I know about this character when there's so little information? Um, is, is an incredibly important, uh, opportunity for writers. Yeah. And then giving, and then we absolutely like first reading and then dissecting, allowing yourself to be transported and thinking about that transportation, how that happened. I did, yeah, I read a lot of books all over. And I and I still I mean I still do. I saw it like I'm I'm not dead. So I'm still reading. <laughs> and um and then I read about writing and some of that. Um I like uh James Michener. Yeah. James book on on right I can't even remember which what it was called but it was fantastic and he was a wonderful writer I read like everything Stephen King on writing is like wow. a, a bible I've gone back to um and uh um oh, 
Walter Mosley. This is the year I write my novel. Mm-hmm. I'd already written several novels by the time I read that book came out, but I recommend it. Uh, when I teach, I recommend it to people because it's it's fantastic. Yeah. And so what what about the genre you write in? What what drew you there? Was it the stories you wanted to tell or or you know, how did you, how did you end up where you are? I was writing the, I started writing Okay, and I started writing the book that was in my heart, and there were dead people in it. I don't know. It was really um, at the time. Also, um, I was very immersed in January Magazine, and we had a very strong crime fiction section that had been built by Jay Kingston Pierce, who uh, we spun the rap sheet in two thousand six. We spun it out of January Magazine directly because we actually started the rap sheet, and then and Jeff. I mean Jeff does it entirely on his own now I contribute the the occasional piece though I'm still a contributing editor but that was the first time that I had thought I hadn't really thought about genres other than a place to put books in bookstores and libraries like so they could you could find what you're looking for I hadn't really thought about it in terms of my own writing in some ways I still don't because I again the good writing thing um and I don't write mysteries. Like if you're writing a mystery, then you really have to pay attention because there's some conventions that are important. And the kind of books that I write, they're kind of, they're very character driven. They're kind of, um, and they're thrillers, psychological dramas, mm-hmm. um, I guess. There's a lot of that. I mean, and there's dead people. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't really, I don't pay, I don't think about, but but anyway, Jeff made me think about, oh, like crime fiction, this is a thing. And then because we had this really strong crime fiction section and we had a big crime fiction readership, in fact, we might have been the first people that coined the phrase crime fiction in North America because then this is because this is going back to the, the late 90s, because mystery didn't cover it. Like there were a whole bunch of books that belonged together. So we started saying crime fiction and now everybody does. So I think we did. But um, so I became more aware of it and I started doing interviews with because Jeff would be like Jeff's in Seattle, uh, Jay Kingston Pierce's Jeff, Jeff's in Seattle. I was in Vancouver and he'd be like, oh, Dennis Lehane is coming to Vancouver. I just saw on a schedule. Will you interview him? So I did. Um, and uh, oh, um, Ann Perry, um, like a whole bunch of very skilled crime fictionists I interviewed. And so, I don't know, something seeped into my brain. <laughs> like yeah. It just, yeah it, but, and, oh, and before an interview, of course, I would read those books. And yeah. Um, yeah. there's a whole bunch of them I can't even, like, really, really, um, from, oh, who started Sisters? Sarah Paretsky. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, and and it's, if, I guess it interested me. I don't know. And then when I sat down, that's what came out. Yeah. You're so the writing part of your like, fascinating, you know, pantser writes notebooks, transcribes. I mean, all of that's so interesting. Publishing journey is separate from a writing journey. And you talked about this um, at the beginning, how you sort of came out of the gate. Huge. I mean, <laughs> um, but a career is more than one contract. It's more, it's, it's, it's figuring it out and bobbing and weaving and changing and, um, and keep going. So what, what, what do you 
And you already understood the publishing journey a little bit because you talked to all these people. But what, you know, what about your own journey surprised you, even though you you sort of knew what to expect? What about my own journey? I mean, looking when you look back, then you think, oh, that all made sense, right? But um I I guess it surprised me that we there can be many agents in a journey and I think in a writing career. And I think that is not a known thing. And I think sometimes it might, (laughs) I'm swimming a little, I'm, you know, I'm well, cause I want to be candid, but I also don't want to sound like a jerk. (laughs) It can be our own arrogance sometimes that, we have our expectations don't match up with uh, the reality. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't actually know anything about your publishing journey. So I, I don't know, but I know for a lot of, a lot of writers have an agent and especially when, yeah. So have an agent. And then when things don't go exactly the way, cause I mean, like I said, I thought I was going to be writing Madeline Carter like forever. Yeah. And all those books, she was a great character. Um, she is a great character. I still get letters from readers who loved her. This wasn't enough readers to sustain yeah. Yeah. the series. And also they had given me, you know, they gave me a whack of money. And then if the books don't make a whack of money, they don't not delighted right. anymore. So um, the, they were critically acclaimed. And I think one of them, oh, was they nominated and stuff like that. I don't think they want anything. And then uh, so when that didn't happen you know when they when they didn't i i just i kind of i i i kind of thought at a certain point um that it should have gone better than it had and that maybe a different agent would serve me better and so it turned out not to be the case <laughs> it turned out it was me after all so <laughs> So I had some things to I had some things to learn. Yeah. So what I he, I'm hearing you say is something that is a lot of people talk about, but not publicly, and and that's part of the journey is the business side. Finding an agent who's your business partner, and that may mean changing agents, but it also you know I appreciate the introspection that you just shared that. Um, Sometimes it's you. I mean, you have expectations that aren't realistic at that point in your career. Right. So your business partner, your agent needs to manage your expectations, but but you also have to always be questioning whether or not <laughs> whether or not you're on the same page because you it changes over time. Yeah, and then also, you know, and probably like you said, I was I knew about the industry. I was in the industry. I didn't. Yeah all these people and talk to them about it and nobody like you said like how's the book doing and then people are like oh yeah I don't really know nobody really tells me which is true but you kind of know like and so in afterwards looking back on those interviews later there was cases where I was like oh that's what I wasn't hearing you know that's what I wasn't like some of the realities of of the business yeah. but um, oh geez you had asked me something I can't 
I went off. To, I went off on a tangent. Forgive me. Well, it's a good tangent to go on because I think that this is part of the conversation. And also, you know, as this is, uh, there are writers at all different stages in their careers listening to this. Um, just to explain that a, an advance uh, is a you get paid it and you don't have to pay it back. But it's against the potential earnings of the book and that those earnings are usually, you know, it varies, but it can be 15 to 25 percent, depending on what how the book, whether it's prints or hardcover, you know, whatever. Um, so it's hard to earn back um, <laughs> that money um, sometimes. So back big, big in advances. <laughs> a big chunk in advance for a debut novelist it shows um that their support and they're excited but it also that's a big hill to climb um to 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 be able to earn out a six figure advance as a brand as a debut and then oh you know there's a whole like a whole bunch of wine fest things that happened on the way like my editor left before the book came out it didn't get the support yada 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 and yeah. it's a story it's, it's not a unique story no. And it's not as a story in some ways that we hear more and more as the industry is less forgiving. Like, oh, um, another wonderful, oh my gosh, I'm just blanking. Another wonderful author that I interviewed, Alphabet Mysteries, Sue Grafton. Yeah. Sue Grafton, in this present environment, we would not know her name because they, I remember her, I think it was me she told in an interview. All of those interviews are online still, too. Some of them are fantastic. That, um, she said modestly, that they gave her, it was like 10 books before those books really took off. Like, that doesn't happen in the current environment. Um, if you don't do really well out of the gate, you might only get a couple of shots at it with any particular series. So yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's hard. It's not <laughs> it's hard. It's not insurmountably hard. And you know, people get published every day, find new agents and stuff, but it's, uh, you want to go, we want an easy life, go sell light bulbs if you want an easy road or. <laughs> right. Yeah. It is. Um, it's an interesting industry too, because, uh, trends <laughs> are really hard to to understand we don't you don't know how many books you sold your 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 statement from your publisher is six months ago it's it's you know so it's really hard to understand what where trends are and what's going on and what's selling and um you know all that sort of stuff yourself i mean it's 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 challenging yeah. Yeah. Well, and I agree with you. I think that that long long lead times or or building careers as they did with Sue Grafton um and so many others uh it was was such a gift to those authors. Um and it's tougher to do now but especially with one series. I think that, you know, you can also build your name over time, which is what you've been doing is you started, you know, and you keep building and you keep building um, on your name. Uh, are you still, do you still love it? Yes, I love it. And I, I, I love it more. I'm better at it. It's a little, I don't want to say easier. Easier is not the right word, but those, 
When you're a pantser, are you a pantser? You're a plotter, aren't you? I'm a you're plotter. So- yeah. I tried to <laughs> pants and it was a disaster. So I'm a I'm a plotter. <laughs> a disaster is like a can be a point of view, right? Because the first books would take way more effort to get it right. Like now, I don't know why. But no, there's still there's still a lot of work. For instance, that second book, the next X. I wrote three completely different endings for it. Actually, if you ask me, I don't even know how that book ended because I'm those all worked for me. But to go through that process, like back up and go like, oh, that's not quite. And then to write it again. And I'm talking different endings like this guy did it. Oh, no, this lady <laughs> over here did it. I mean, like really different endings. That I don't do anymore. By the time I get to the point where I'm writing the ending, I'm pretty sure you know, I have it kind of all worked out. Yeah. But on this that second novel, I really just started and off I went. It's like, you know how when you sit down to watch, you're going to binge a series and you sit down and you watch and you wonder what's going to happen next. That's my writing journey. That's what it feels like. Every day is like I'm binging this particular book. Well, what I find remarkable about pantsers and, and many, uh, you know, there's also a hybrid. People go in between. So some some pantsers will plot three or four chapters out. And, you know, there are plotters who will, you know, in the middle just sort of riff on something. And, and I'm certainly or have a character who shows up who who makes you do different things. But what fascinates me about Pantsers is how much they keep in their brains about the novel. And that's what I would have trouble with. It's like you are keeping all of those characters and all of those subplots and everything in your brain. And, and I, I need a roadmap. So, so, you know, it is a different way of doing things, but I just, I, 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 I envy folks who can keep all of that in their, in their brain. Well, maybe I, well, I don't. Actually, maybe I cheat because I have, I work in the whole thing's one document and it's, I do it like the, 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 the typed part. And I do it these days in Google docs, because then whatever device I'm on, I can find out where I just left off before I start longhanding. So I do it in Google doc, in a Google doc. But at the end of that Google doc, the very end, I put character names. So this is so-and-so's husband. This is like, and I'll put key things. Things like that, because yeah, you forget. Then also, when you go back, and sometimes I just fudge it. So I use TK from journalism. T, I put in a TK, and then before I submit it to my agent or my editor, I say I go through and I take out all the TKs, and like make sure, because I'll go. I don't even remember that character's name. Okay, TK Bruce, whatever. Let's keep going. So I'll do that, and then I'll when I'm doing future drafts. Yeah, future passes. When I'm sanding, I'll go like, oh yeah, you know, that was the drugstore, not a super, you know, not a Safeway or whatever. So yeah. you can see now. Actually, I never had a book with a drugstore and a Safeway in it, so I don't know where that came from. <laughs> well, that you may know. be those characters who are are knocking on your brain, saying, "And we're going to be in a drugstore and a Safeway." Yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here you go. <laughs> um, what does TK stand for? To come, to um, come. <laughs> because those two letters don't occur together in nature. Yeah, and there's no English words, and so that's a, a journalism thing. 
I love that because I use like stars and I think TK might be better. <laughs> so. I use stars. I, I use uh, hashtags and TK, to, but they have different meaning in my work. So. Yeah, no, yeah. but I, I think that that's also part, you know, rather than guess or get somebody's name wrong. I mean, it's, it's quite the, it's quite the process. Um, and writing a series, you also have characters who go from book to book, subplots that arc a, a series. I mean, that's also keeping an extra element in your brain. Yeah, no, that's right. A series Bible would be good. I haven't, I'm working, I'm so excited. I'm working on the fourth book in the ending series right now. That's the that's the farthest I've gotten. My that's other series awesome. got threes. Um yeah, so I'm working on the fourth book. And um I and probably will go back and read, I think, book two quite quick. Because book three, I finished recently enough and was working on edits and stuff. That's the book that's coming out. Dead West is coming out in September. Yeah, September. So that one's fresh in my mind, but a couple of things are key in two that happened in book two that I'm going to go bone up on before I I get things wrong. <laughs> yeah, a, a series Bible or playbook or whatever you want to call it is also something we don't. I I didn't know, <laughs> and it would have been so helpful in the first series. And you know, by the time you've written a couple, you're like, oh, let me write down. <laughs> Who's related to who and who's got what last name and where they live and draw a map of the town because I'm by book four, you forget what's in book one or two. With the ending series, it's a little bit easier because first of all, I'm going to give this away. I don't usually say this out loud, but I'm I'm doing the fourth book now. So it's kind of known if you read anything about the book, all the reviews have mentioned it. The main character has no name. So, which I don't know why that is. She just does not. Um, But so, and she moves around. You never really, you very seldom know exactly where you are. Like I know where you are, where she she is, but the places aren't really named. So it's kind of, there's a diaphanous kind of ethereal quality (laughs) to the whole series. So it's kind of, and also... And she's a hit woman. So a lot of the characters die. Um, and she's a loner. So there's less connections you have to, you know, you, so there's less people. She's got a handler. We don't know her name either. Um, and you don't see her. It's all uh, written or cell phone. So, um, or yeah, phone. So you don't, it's less to, with this series, it's a little easier to track. So yeah. I know. Since in book three, she spends a lot of time in Arizona. She's also in DC part of the time. So I mean, but they're not her home. She's she's a she's a loner. Linda, so did you? I I know you just said this, but did you? Do you know her name? She has not told me. And actually, in book three, you find out what her name kind of was, but it isn't anymore. It's, it was all, I don't even know how that happened. Well, yeah, I do. It was, it started with a short story that the whole series started with a short story that was complete. I didn't think there, I didn't think it was a book. And in that short story, she had no name. It was just like how she started her journey. 
And uh, some of my colleagues were like, that has to be a book. Like this really needs to be a book. I'm like, oh, I have somebody going around and killing people. Like that's been done. Like who cares? And uh, a friend of mine, the very talented Canadian novel novelist, um, Dietrich Kaltai said, Linda, that is not what it's about. It's about her redemption. Yeah. And suddenly it was like, oh, all these lights went off. We were coming back from a reading event, like uh, in, that we a library event we'd been doing at a town um, in in central British Columbia. We were driving, and by the time I got, you know, home, I was driving. By the time I got home, I dumped off the guys, and I was at my computer. Like it was just there. It was just started yeah. again, magical. But yeah. so, so she hadn't had a name, and that was one of the things that was intriguing about the short story, like that made it, I don't know, kind of snap. And just her story, it's very how how she got into that line of work. And then, I don't know, she just couldn't have a name after that. I I think that's brilliant. I, I also think that that's, um, it's wonderful to have a female protagonist who's on that journey, because that's usually not um, not the journey, right, that, that so many female protagonists go on. And I think that it's really interesting to make her that. It's like anti, anti-hero, I guess. Yeah. Which was not my intention, but, and then she kind of has lapses. Like she doesn't really, did she kill anybody in the, oh, I don't want to give it away. The third book's not even out yet, but she's kind of protecting people sometimes. And yeah, just, it's kind of, but this kind it's definitely a loner kind of journey. So it's, it's been interesting. And the other thing I d- did not plan, I don't know where this came from. It's first person immediate. So. Wow. I'd never written first person immediate. And sometimes I have to, like when I'm editing, I have to, sometimes you slide into um, just regular first person, but first person immediate somehow because it's 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 just it's dark like it's fairly dark obviously the subject matter it's dark she kills people for money it's dark it's not humorous and there's something about and since you don't know her name too and there's something about the first person immediate that makes it very well kind of immediate it's kind of kind of very personal and because you're now it's been i think for some readers it's been an uncomfortable journey because when it's first person you're asking them to ride along with something that and it doesn't sit well with some people I can see it in my Amazon reviews some people are like and what they're not getting is that it's because they're having she's a very sympathetic character like how is that possible she kills people for money right. so right. if you're feeling sympathy for her well, what does that say about you I think for some readers they kind of judge themselves for feeling sympathy for her it's yeah. kind of interesting Well, and Linda, I think that the complexity of those characters is so important now, uh, you know, uh, and for folks, it's not a binary thing. People aren't good or bad. I mean, they're, they're, you know, I went to a, a memorial service earlier this week for somebody who hugely important in my life and a mentor and a friend, but complicated. Like she could also be complicated and that's okay. You know, she wasn't a saint and that's okay. It's, um, you know, people are, aren't one thing. They are complicated. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's, that's been an interesting journey. And, um, 
even just conceiving of all the stuff. It's I don't even I have no idea where it comes from. As a writer, do you find that writing these dark books exercises something for you? Or is it something that then it it weighs on you and you need to cleanse? Or how do you how do you take care of yourself as you're writing uh, writing these books? Sports. <laughs> I think <laughs> like when you read my bio, I do a lot of stuff. So maybe that like I walk a lot and I yeah. play tennis a lot. I ride my bike, but also they're dark, but she is ever stumbling towards the light. Mm-hmm. I think that's essential. Like they're not relentlessly dark. Mm-hmm. There are elements of light. She has a dog. Yeah. Who also has no name. Uh, Oh no, I just gave him a name in the fourth book. So, but um, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but so there's, so that, that's kind of a light, you know, light that comes out of darkness. And I think that's what keeps it from being, and I, the same, like when you watch movies, right. Plays as well. I've, I've, I've experienced visual entertainment as opposed to written entertainment that is relentless in its darkness. And you're just like, Oh, please. Yeah. Um, I, I found the Matrix series to be like that. Like, it was just like, oh, God, just kill me now. <laughs> like, it was just so, there was no, it was hopeless, I thought. For me, it was hopeless. And that can be a personal thing, too. And and a whole pile of other movies. Not so much plays, I think. But um, and plays have that reality and immediacy. But, yeah. And so it's not that. It's not relentlessly dark. There are elements of light and hope. And she's... Stumbling towards the light, yeah. Yeah, and I I love that. Uh, what broke through for you in your conversation with your friend was that um, the theme of the series is redemption, and I I do think that um, thinking about themes and thinking about that as a, a foundation again, not every reader may say, oh, the theme of Linda's series is, but but that as a writer, is such an important thing to know about the book. Yeah. It, yeah, it is. because uh, And I didn't conceive it as a series at all. I conceived it as, and that's true of actually all of my books. The first book of all of my series, I was just writing a book. But by the time I had finished it, um, I was thinking, oh, about the other adventures. And that was, again, the case with like all of my series. I just was like, oh, she could do this or this could happen. That could be really cool. Or actually the third, yeah, the third book, Dead West, it started as a subplot in the second book. It just didn't fit. It was just cut, kept, it was kind of taking over. So I just, I removed the whole thing and put it over here and then got back to it. So wow. that was Interesting. So I don't really, I don't plot a series. I just have things happen to people. <laughs> <laughs> um, you pants your series as well. I think. <laughs> <laughs> You've also got a nonfiction coming out this year. Tell me a little bit about that journey. Um, so that in 2020, I published a book called, a book was published called, um, Return from Extinction, The Triumph of the Elephant Seals. And I wrote it for Orca Books. Um, uh, it was a book I had pitched to them. And uh, the voice, I hit the voice for nine to 13-year-olds. And it was the Elephant Seal book, which is fantastic. I had just been intrigued by their journey. And it was, you know, like 
so I'm going back, but in 1920, the northern elephant seal was virtually extinct. There were less than 100, they're like between 20 and 100 individuals on the planet. And now there are like 250,000. And so it's such a hope, when I learned that, it just seemed like such a hopeful story that I wanted to share that with kids in a world there is so little hope for kids. I, like, you know, it can seem, everything can seem so dark. So I I wanted that. So I, I pitched it to Orca and they, I, I, I knew the associate publisher there. She's like, yeah, we would love that book. So that was very, the whole thing was pretty seamless. It was pretty easy. I did almost all the photos in the book myself. Wow. I was spending a lot of time in the central coast of California and I would spend hours with them. There's a, an important elephant seal beach near Hearst Castle, which is about 20 minutes from my base in, in, in California. So I would just hang with them. And you, it's a five-mile boardwalk. Um, and you can, sh- I, was, I was mostly shooting down with a long lens. Like you can't like hang directly out with some elephant seals. I didn't, but so I did most of the photos. And I, it was such a joyful experience, the whole thing and the the messaging and stuff that I wanted to do it again. And I pitched a few books to Orca and the one that they really liked was Wild Horses. And I thought, you know, Wild Horses, they're pretty and then there's a bunch of them. I could take pictures of them. And I know a lot about horses because I've, I've been an, uh, a, a, a horsewoman for most of my life. And I, so I thought I knew a lot. I'm like, it'll be a walk in the park. What I didn't realize was that in this country, in the United States, um, and to a certain degree in Canada, the wild horse story is really politicized. And there's people that hate them and are trying to exterminate them. And that's not real joyous to share with kids, but anyway, it's happening. And there was just a whole lot of, it was hard. I'm never doing another one. It was really, really, it was really, really hard. and. Um, there's so much research involved and so many tears yeah. about what. So look at me, like I'm even, you can hear it in my voice. Yeah. Um, it's a great book, but I mean, it's, it's short, like, cause it's for kids. There's lots of photos. I took a few of them. I didn't take, cause it turned, the other thing that I didn't realize when I started writing the book was that there are wild horses like everywhere in the world. And most places they're celebrated and protected in the United States. They're not They're They compete with livestock, like with cattle on public lands in really inappropriate ways. And then even the whole story of how horses got to North America, there's a lot of been some whitewashing, perhaps there maybe there's been whitewashing there. And so that was an interesting story to try to tell in an even way. And some some people got really mad at me for trying to tell that story because they're really invested in the Spaniards brought them. Um, so it's there's it's pretty controversial. Probably there will be no controversy because in my life, all the things I ever thought were going to be controversial, they're not. But anyway, we'll see because there's some things that are it was it was a journey anyway. So yeah, that up in uh, October. Sounds like a journey that also is a you're writing it for nine to 13 year olds. So as you said, you can't, you want to tell the truth and you want to, to do this, but, but that's a, I can see it in your face and hear it in your voice that this was a tough one. Oh, so tough. Even explaining the term whitewashing to, to nine to 13 year olds. Yeah. Is, 
<laughs> it's interesting. I think we did leave it in, but um, and and it's all in there in in even handed. But that was hard, and yeah. I had to put it off. Um, uh, the book was scheduled for like it's it's coming out whatever we know twenty twenty three. It was initially scheduled for twenty I guess twenty twenty two, but. I also, all of a sudden, you know, we were negotiating um, a film deal for endings. And also I was crying so much about wild horses. So I had to just like, I said, please can be another year with that. Yeah. So interviews for that book is going to be really tough. And so some of that dripped into Dead West, which is set against, there's a backdrop of wild horses in Dead West. And so I covered it less than the the political part. Some of that is that's why it ends up in DC. So yeah. it's gonna be interesting to having two kind of horsey, wild horsey related books. And the series really doesn't have anything to do with wild horses, but it just was there. Yeah. So. And part of what you're the story you're telling. Yeah. Yeah. Well and the, the film deal sounds pretty exciting. Yeah. And I can't yeah. talk a lot about that because they want to announce it when the time comes, but it's a major studio. It's a series and they have a, there's a writer attached as far as I know. And that's awesome. And well, we can't wait to hear more about it and congratulations on that. Um, and thanks for conversation and for your honesty in, in telling these the stories and, and as part of the journey, um, I will connect folks uh in the show notes to your um interviews so that they can find them and listen to them and become inspired <laughs> um but yeah thank you so much for a wonderful conversation thank you i enjoyed it i want to hear more about your journey too <laughs> well we'll do that at, at a conference <laughs> thank you so much thank you Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.